Well, we're into the final week of our series that we've called The Altered Life. And the past two weeks, we've been walking through what it means to live in light of Easter. Uh, the reason that we kind of set this series here is, again, I don't know about you, but often for me, we have these big days on the calendar, whether it's the church calendar, whether it's our family calendar, whether it's a work calendar, and there can be so much stuff kind of in anticipation, build up till the day comes, and then that thing happens, and then it's like, okay, what's next? And we move on too quickly. And so the, the goal has been to kind of sit still for a little bit, uh, to, to, to think for a little bit about, okay, so we've, we've celebrated Easter. We, we, we heard, again, we were reminded of Jesus' triumphal entry. We were reminded of, of, of his journey to the cross on Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we talked about the, like, can we actually believe this? It was a bit of an apologetic Sunday. And did Jesus actually live? What does he, did he actually die? Was he actually raised from the dead? And so what? And so that's where we've been for the last number of weeks. How do we live in light of Easter and in light of the cross? Because if Jesus is who he said he was, and if he did what he said he would do and what the Bible says he did and what church tradition has held to for the last 2,000 years, then it demands a response. You can't just put that on the shelf and carry on with life. Either he's right and true and good and did all these things and we ought to submit to him, that's one response, or he wasn't and you should reject him and carry on with your merry way. Either way, it demands a response. Hopefully, through Easter, we showed that no, he is actually who he says he was, and he actually did what he said he would do, and he did actually was actually resurrected on the third day, and so he demands a, a positive response from us. And throughout the series, we've said that the Apostle Paul probably gives us the best response to the so what question of Easter and these have been our theme verses in, in Romans chapter 12. So let me read for us Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Um, maybe one more time for our, our series. Paul writes this to the church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. So far through the series, we, we've, we've looked at a little bit what it means to be that living sacrifice. And, and the challenge, we've, we've joked, but it's not a joke for me, the, the, the challenge of being a living sacrifice and offering yourself as a living sacrifice is those living sacrifices keep crawling off the altar. And I got to crawl back on, give ourselves back. We looked at what it means to, to learn Christ as opposed to learn about Christ. We don't just want to gather more information and just file it on the shelf with the other things we know about other things, but instead we want to, to live in his footsteps. There is this, in, in the, the, the language of, of discipleship and, and following a rabbi, there is this sense that if you were following a rabbi in those days, the dust from his sandals kind of kicked up on you. That's how, that's how close you followed his everyday walk and how he taught and lived and, and all the things. And so we talked about what does it mean to, to live in his footsteps, to, to build a relationship with Jesus where we, where we speak to him and we hear him speak to us and, and where, we, where we remove our old way of living, those, those thoughts of, that the world would suggest, the, the, 
the way of thinking that the world leads us to, the way of speaking and acting, and instead clothe ourselves with His understanding, with His example, with His, his words and His actions and His mindset and His relationship with the Father. And that list goes on and on and on. And throughout, and I hope, you, I hope you hear me say this probably every week, but maybe especially through the last few, we've said this is a process. We're, we're aiming for progress, not perfection. It's not as though we pray a prayer and, and everything's good in our life. It's a process. Last week we looked especially at Paul saying, uh, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, it's, it's worth it. And he gave us these images first of, of, of a, of a long-distance runner and, and how you have to train and work up to those distances and work hard to, to, to run. And, and then as a laborer, a, a laborer working with your hands, and again, it takes time to, to construct something and put it together and have that finished project. And finally he said, I, I, I'm those things for you, and I'm happy to be those things for you, but I'm also happy to be a drink offering where you... you, you we looked at this image of having an expensive, fragrant liquid and, and, and breaking the op- open the seal and pouring some of it out and said, no, you never get that offering back. That, that gift is, is, is given, it's spent. You can't collect it and put it back in the bottle. It's, it's a one-time, here I am kind of offering. We looked at Paul's example as he followed Jesus' example to be that fragrant liquid poured out to build the kingdom of God. And we said, I gave the analogy of barbecuing. Right? When somebody's barbecuing, the whole neighborhood knows that that fragrant offering is going out. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma, the fragrant, the loving, pleasing aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. And so I hope that if you've barbecued this week, or if you smelled someone else barbecue this week, you've thought about that no, Every one of us takes this pleasing, fragrant aroma everywhere we go. This morning as we wrap up, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a, have a Bible in front of you, you can open up there. That'd be great. Let me read our verses for us. I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. Peter says, As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's kind of the the big idea of the last message in this series, that God has called us to be living stones, pieces of an altar or, or pieces of a temple built for him. There's, once again, a kind of a tongue-in-cheek metaphor here because as we've all seen stones and lifted stones and moved stones and tripped on stones, all of us know that are they living? No, they're not. We don't think of them as living. Instead, we think of them as as heavy and solid and stable and and maybe even immovable. When Peter first wrote this, his, his first hearers, when they thought of these these living stones and these giant stones and, and connected, of course, to the altar and temple, they would have likely pictured that temple in Jerusalem at the time in the first century, which was the heart of the, the Jewish religion. It was the kind of the key to the whole Old Testament, the old first covenant. And so picture this thing in, in your mind, if you can. It was, it was huge. 
It was built with giant, impressive stones, massive stones built up on a hill so that everybody around could see this structure. The temple was the place where God lived with his people, yet because of God's holiness, only the priests could offer sacrifices, and and those sacrifices needed to be made so that people could have a relationship with God. And that temple, it identified Israel as God's people, and it was the hub of their faith. It was the hub of their their nation. It was the hub of kind of the cultural epicenter and their place and purpose in the world. Peter starts to take that picture and apply it to the church. And in the verses that, that follow what we read, he reminds us that Jesus is the cornerstone. And I, again, Arnie, thank you for leading us in that song this morning. That in this new temple that's being built, Jesus is the first stone set. He's the one that's, that's set, that begins the work of the foundation. And every other stone that gets built into that project is, is measured up against him, is aligned with it. That, that cornerstone is the one that gives the structural integrity of the building that allows that structure to stand. And yet look at verse 5. He says, you like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, if we are, to take the picture to ourselves, if we are stones, how much can you build with just yourself? Exactly that much, you're right. Exactly that much. Nothing, right? One stone doesn't make anything except maybe a tripping hazard. You can't build a wall with it. You can't build a house. You can't build an altar. You can't build a temple. One by itself, you can't do anything with. So Peter is talking to a people. He's calling them and he's calling us to see ourselves as living stones that are connected to the living stone, and that's Jesus in verse 4. And in much of the letter leading up to this point, this has been something Peter has been doing again and again, calling the church to unify themselves around Jesus so that they can be built up into this spiritual house, this new temple. And this goes against, to bring it to our day, this goes against so much of our individualistic culture. I can't tell you how many times, even since, you know, in the last 20 years as I was in youth group and helped lead a youth group, how many times kind of the trend of, no, no, my relationship, it's me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. And yes, you need some time aside with Jesus. And that's maybe a good thing. But it cannot just be me and Jesus. More and more, I'm convinced that there, there's a level of spiritual maturity and there's a level of spiritual growth that we're all called to that you simply cannot have if you're not living in community with others. This week I was on a a Zoom call with two pastors and and friends, uh, one in Montreal and one uh, near Toronto kind of, and and what a a gift Zoom has been. I I know many of us are sick and tired of online meetings and Zoom and all the things, but man, it's it's just different than being on the phone or whatever else to see the face of these guys. And and over this, this call, it wasn't it's, it spoke exactly to this. The questions we asked were, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? How's your church doing? How's, like, how can we pray for you? What, is, what does worship look like, right? I, I probably wouldn't ask some of those questions of myself, just me and Jesus, right? Maybe, probably, maybe. But until I'm with other brothers in the faith and, and church family, like, that's, that's where we have this ability to, 
to ask some probing questions and challenge one another and spur one another on towards being what God has called us to be. See, just like trying to build a house from a single stone, trying to follow Jesus apart from community, it just, it just doesn't work. And so this is a, a, a massive so what of Easter. No longer are we just trying to live a good life or, or follow some good teaching or be a good person, but instead, we're called to be a part of something amazing. Our entire identity changes. We were, we were once dead like stones, but because of the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're now living stones. And then we're not just stones that are special, but instead we're being built or, or we are to, to build ourselves into a spiritual house. And when I say build ourselves, I, I don't, don't hear me say, okay, I've got to muscle up and, and do something with myself. No, no. We have to put the effort into align ourselves with other living stones so that together we continue to build this spiritual house. It means we make choices. We choose to, to give of our, our time and our Sundays and our, our weekday time and, and all the things. We, we choose to find our identity as a living stone, as a follower of Jesus instead of something else. It means we choose to, to, to have a collective identity as followers of Jesus, not just an individual one. And all of that pointing towards that living stone, Jesus. Peter then tells the church, which we're a part of today, that they are the new temple. Now again, think about what's most, probably most significant about the temple in Jerusalem at that time. It was where God dwelt with his people. At that time, in, in order to kind of get in the presence of God, typically you went to the temple. We don't have to do that anymore because now we're the temple and God dwells within his church Last week, I mentioned the process to, to make that fragrant offering, that fragrant drink offering, that perfume that it, that it took strength to make. You had to collect the things. It took space. It took time, effort, grit. Things were, were ground down and mashed and cooked and boiled and cooked and, and, and ground again, and it, it took effort. Well, guess what? Working on a stone to make it fit with the one next to it so you can build a house it takes time to, and it takes effort, and it takes chiseling, and it takes grinding, and it takes cutting, and not all of which is pleasant and enjoyable for the living stones, I wouldn't assume, but it's worth it. A couple of examples as I was preparing, I came across this, this living archaeology project in France, and if you speak French, I apologize. Uh, it's a medieval castle called uh, at Gueldalon, Gueldalon. Sorry, French speakers. And the project is, uh, it's, it's to build a medieval castle in the way that it would have been built in the 12th and 13th century. So they've got this site that's about 50 meters by 50 meters, and the castle tower will eventually be about 10 stories high, 28 meters high. And so every day, workers are there working these stones by hand with tools that would have been used 700 years ago so that they fit together to build this castle. And when those tools wear out, they've got another section of blacksmiths smithing and forging more tools, repairing tools. Now this project started in 1997, 
and it's still not done. It takes time, some of these things. It takes effort. It takes work. It, 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 it's, but every day on that site, and if you were here last week, you heard me talk about my grandpa a little bit. My, my grandpa would love this, right? Every day on that site, you hear the tap, 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 tap as they, they make these stones. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife Naomi and I had the opportunity to go to Peru to visit our, our compassion child just before he graduated from the, the program. And so we got to go and we added a couple of vacation days uh, at the end and we went up to Cusco to see Machu Picchu and some of the, the Incan ruins up there. And, and one of the things we saw was, was this wall just outside the city. We went for a walk or took a tour and, and on that wall was, was this stone. This is called the 12 angled stone. Now this rock uh, was fit more than 700 years ago into that place. Uh, it's about six feet deep, and they figure it weighs more than six tons. Now there's something about some of these ancient or past civilizations and, and just the, the ingenuity and the way that they did these things, because I, I don't think they had grinders. I don't think they had like power saws and jackhammers to do any of this. But think of the, the work that went into getting that, that stone to fit there perfectly. The effort, the, the gentle scrape, the big, the big chunks that came off at first, then the gentle scrape, the gentle work. And when, you're, when you're there, you, you could not slip a piece of paper in between those stones. And they've been sitting for hundreds of years. As living spiritual stones... When we come to Jesus, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit starts in our hearts. We start shaping and molding and grinding and sanding and fitting and reshaping and remolding. And the process just keeps going and, and going and going. And through every stage, of the, every stage of the process, we get closer and closer, a tighter and tighter fit to the living stone. I can't imagine how hard that work would have been. Similarly, God's got to do hard work in us. It takes time. It's a process. But it's worth it. Look again what Peter says in verse 4, if we're not sure or not, if it's worth it. He says, as you come to him, a living stone Rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. Look at those words, chosen and honored. We are called to be these living stones, built into something beautiful for God. The more I reflect on this, the deeper it hits, and it still would have rocked, pun intended, would have rocked those initial Jewish hearers even more than it does us today. Peter has really taken the entirety of Israel's identity and applied it not only to Jesus, but then to every man, woman, and child who comes to faith in Christ. As one writer says, when we, when we, now we come to Jesus, not the city of Jerusalem. We come to the living stone. We, we come to Jesus, not to Judaism, and we come to, into God's kingdom. We come to, to Jesus, not an ornate temple, but... And then we become God's spiritual house and his holy priesthood. 
the biggest ideas in Judaism now apply, Peter applies to his readers. So the church has become God's people and God's place in the world. And these are things that were once out of reach for all of us. Again, he also says that, uh, you know, you are a holy and royal priesthood. But now this is a part of all of our core identity. Uh, One writer says, imagine the impact this metaphor of God's spiritual house would have had on those early readers. Remember, by and large, they were followers of Jesus living in an out-of-the-way place. They were off the beaten path, geographically removed from Jerusalem's great stone temple, the place of culture and religious action in the world. They were the dispersed ones, some of them far from home, not merely far from heaven. But now, by way of a single metaphor, Peter proclaims that they are at the very heart and center of God's activity in the world. They are God's building, and in Christ they are being built up into a residence intended for God's very presence. Imagine how they would have felt. Not sure of who they were, trying to understand this thing, but now identity secured, living stones, part of what God's doing. Part of God's special building project, even. Now what about you? You who are living in something of an out-of-the-way place, if this is home, we're you know, an hour away from the nearest city. This isn't really the, the cultural hub of many places. Not, not much that happens here spreads out past you know, the, the park gates that way and not too much farther the other. Maybe you are living far, or this is far from your hometown, far from heaven. But God, in Christ, is building you into part of his special building project. If you have come to Jesus as God's living stone, you are at the center of what God is doing in the world because we are being built into his spiritual house. Now there's a couple of implications of this. We've touched on them a little bit, but we'll say it again because sometimes I need to hear things myself two or three times before it sticks. But you can't build a house with just one stone, can you? You need many stones, and not just kind of dumped together in a pile, but, but rather brought together, fit together, uh, made into a grand design. Here's what it means for our very individualistic culture. How your life as a living stone plays out, it doesn't really revolve around you. The world doesn't revolve around you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the cornerstone. It's all about God acting as the architect and master builder of this house. Of course, every single one of us has purpose and place and value, but our true value isn't realized until we're gathered and built into our truest identity, the church. So we need each other. We can't live on our own. And it's more than just showing up sometimes on Sunday and saying, well, I went to church, so I guess my stone is being used but it's about being involved and committed and and serving one another and loving one another and and checking up on one another between services and and during the week and, and, and firing up the barbecue so that pleasant aroma goes throughout your neighborhood and your office and your school and and, and the grocery store, all the places, right? And then not just that, it's, so it's, it's one picture say, okay, I'm a living stone placed in Canmore, so I'm a part of this community here. And that's well and good and really good. But beyond that, we're just, we're just one little church. 
that's a part of God's global church. We're part of something so much bigger than, than just me or you or all of us or even, well, we'll double it and we'll add two services bigger than all of us that met here in the morning. We're, we're a part of something massive, millions and billions of people worshiping the same God, maybe teaching the same text, hopefully I got it right, and pointing one another towards Jesus. And I think and I hope that changes the way you think about yourself and Trinity and the church. The second tag that Peter puts on his readers is that of, of priesthood. You're being built up into a living house, but also a royal and holy priesthood. He mentions it in verse 5, as we read, and a little bit later in the letter as well. Now remember what, he, what he's saying here. In the Old Testament, the priesthood became, began with Aaron, and there was a lineage that went down and followed down. And to be a, a part of the priesthood, you had to be a part of that lineage. It was restricted there. And then think about what, what the priests did. They were the ones that stood as an inter, intermediary between God and his people. If you weren't a part of that special group, if you will, that chosen group, you couldn't come to the face face-to-face -face with God. So I, I imagine, again, this is a projection, that everyone else might have felt just a little bit less than. Man, I wish I could go into the presence of God, but I don't know, my daddy wasn't part of that daddy's line, so I can't. But then here comes Peter calling all believers holy and a part of this royal priesthood. He doubles down on the lineage thing because who was royal? Just the king's lineage, right? Just David's lineage. And now he says, no, no, no. All believers in Christ are a part of this holy royal priesthood. That means every Christian is now the ultimate insider. We all have access, if you will, to stand before God. And so much so that we can, with the writer of Hebrews, approach God's throne, the throne of grace, not just timidly, not just occasionally, not just if we clean ourselves up good enough, but we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, like a child running up to his daddy. As followers of Jesus, we've been brought right into the middle of all that's going on, of all that's God that God is doing. We're not just representatives of God in the world, but we're also his priests, his ambassadors, the ones that take his message to the world. So what does that mean? How we live matters. We, we are chosen, transformed, and transforming, and set apart. Later in the letter, we, we won't get there, we were there a little while ago, but Peter unpacked more of what these spiritual sacrifices might look like. But how we live matters. It's also important to remember that, that Jesus was rejected, but he is chosen and precious to God, and Jesus is the living stone. And because of him, we are all spiritual stones being built into his spiritual house. So church, we need each other. We cannot function as God's people on our own. We have a, a shared identity, and it's found in Jesus, the living stone who gives life to all the rest. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that, that uh, you had it in your mind that it would be good to create us 
that you you wanted us to 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 be a part of the love that you shared with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and you you created this world for us to 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 relate to us and yet every one of us has has rejected you at times through word and deed through things we've done and things we haven't done and yet even though it is absolutely your right you didn't just leave us alone in our sin instead you sent Jesus to show us how to rightly relate to you to show us how to rightly obey you how to rightly treat one another how to rightly speak to one another and speak to you Jesus, thank you that you came to show us that you loved us so much that you're willing to die for us to pay the price for my sin and and our sin and then offer us life. As you raised from the dead on that third day, you conquered Satan, sin, and death itself and, and offered us life if we come to you. So Jesus, I pray this morning that we would do that today, that we would come to you we are offered offer our lives as a living sacrifice that we would grasp a little bit more today and continue continual growing grasp of what it means to be living stones built up into your holy place pray that you continue to keep working in us and through us and that we would take your good name and your glory to the world around us, not for our sake, but for yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.